Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of the Cherry Becker Tax Beat Podcast. Uh, today is March 4th, 2022, and our topic of conversation is our one of our favorites, the employee retention credit and what we're seeing out in the market right now. Uh, it's almost been a year since we last talked about ERC on this podcast, so uh, it's time to revisit and see what's been happening since last spring. Uh, joining us once again on this topic today is Marty Caramon, our leader of our firm's uh, practice and uh, our tax credits and incentives advisory practice overall, as well as specifically our ERC practice. So, Marty, say hello. Brooks, hello. Thank you uh, for having me here. I'm gonna, I'm calling in today from our, our Tyson's Corner office in the D.C. area. Awesome. And uh, for the day, we, we might also refer to Marty as Rockstar on occasion because that's his uh, other, other great talent in life. All right. Also joining us today, as always, is Sarah McGregor from our Greenville office. So, Sarah, how's life treating you? Hey, Brooks, life is good. It's, uh, we're starting to see signs of spring, uh, which also means that tax deadlines are looming, including March 15th and April 15th. So everybody's working away really hard. And, um, you know, it's nothing like getting new schedules, K2, K3, pass-through entity tax elections. And, uh, and so talking about ERC will be a breath of fresh air. Sarah, I'm a little surprised. You normally always sound kind of jazzed up about uh, the deadlines and tax things like that. You sound a little down today. I think I think I'm just a little tired today. So, okay. but that's All okay. Right. I'll be I'll be enthusiastic in a moment. All right, fair enough, fair enough. All right, and uh, uh, and I'm Brooks Nelson uh, calling in from Richmond, Virginia, as usual. All right, so let's just do a little background on ERC, the Employee Retention Credit. It was first introduced with the CARES Act back in March of 2020. Again, the kind of overriding purpose of this credit was to help finance employers to keep paying employees wages. That is the ultimate intent. Um, you know, it gets more narrow as Congress is trying to figure out which companies deserve to be subsidized to continue paying their employees. But at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, the government trying to subsidize uh, companies to keep employees on the payroll. All right, so it got all, you know, there's been so many iterations of this, you know, so the CARES Act put it in for uh, pretty much the last three quarters of 2020. There were maybe a few days tacked on to that, but that's the big picture. Then, and, um, at the end of December um, of 2020, there was a Consolidated Appropriations Act, and that extended the credit for the first two quarters of 2021, plus it gave a little favorable uh, benefit of the interaction with PPP loan recipients. Then in March of 2021, the American Rescue Plan Act came through and extended the ERC to all four quarters, but wait, but wait. Uh, in November of 2021, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act came through and eliminated the fourth quarter of ERC. So where we stand, we only have three quarters of ERC for 2021. Um, 
I guess I have two big points on this. One, this is just because the wages that you calculate the credit on are over, so to speak, the credit is still live, uh, live and viable today. You can go back and claim your ERC on amended returns. It's all good. And, and in fact, uh, when all said and done, more taxpayers will probably go back and claim the credit through amended payroll returns than they did on original returns. That's just my guess. Uh, the second little point I'd like to make is that it's still floating around in Congress. You know, you, their little whispers, their little emails about people talking about, let's put the ERC back in again. So we'll have to see where all that plays out. All right. I guess I've done enough talking. Let's get to the real expert, uh, Marty. So before we kind of um, talk about, you know, in detail what you're seeing in the market, uh, why don't you just give us you know, your two cents on the overall effectiveness of this credit and what you're seeing right now? Yeah, thanks, Brooks. And the credit bite is very effective and incredibly lucrative to many of both our clients and employers in general. Um, but just to take a quick step and step back and to make sure we're all on the same page here as we talk about this and what we're seeing in the marketplace, the employee retention credit specifically is available to companies that were harmed by COVID in one of two ways. They either see some significant decline in their gross receipts in either 2020 or the first three quarters of 21 compared to those same time periods back in 2019, or, and we'll get to this point, um, they are disrupted and partially shut down due to government mandates limiting commerce, travel, or group meetings specific to COVID-19. So think of the mandates issued by governors, um, some by the federal government, but localities as well, that directly disrupted business from being able to function in the same way it normally would. Um, and so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about restrictions on either the customer base, which we pick up through the gross receipts test, or restrictions directly on the company or organization itself in terms of what it could do. So, Marty, the I think Brooks made an important point. You know, just because the time period for wages has ended, it's not over as far as filing and claiming this credit. No, that's correct. Um, with respect to the employee retention credit, there is a three-year statute of limitations on the 2020 and each of the first three quarters of 21 as well. And technically, the way that works is we can still work with companies to put an amended claim in for the 2020 credit through the beginning of 2024 and for the 2020, 2021 credits through the beginning of 2025. And so you're exactly correct. If you haven't taken a look at the ERC, um, it is still available to you in order to go back and request a refund of cash um, through the payroll tax system on, on a form 941X. And so it is available to companies to continue to look at for the next couple of years. All right. Well, let's get the negative out of the way right now. Um, this was designed to get money to employers while they're paying wages, but uh, it, in a lot of ways, it hadn't worked out that way for some significant payments. Well, a lot of companies are still waiting on their refunds, aren't they? They definitely are. Um, yeah, when ERC first came out, it was intended that companies would actually uh, not remit uh, their payroll taxes and hold on to it and self-fund that way. Um, but it was limited to companies that didn't get PPP. And then later when they changed the law to allow companies that had taken PPP to go back and get ERC, then it was by definition a look back for 2020. And then with 
all the confusion in the economy, the marketplace, et cetera, many companies just didn't have time to focus on ERC and didn't get it on the originally filed return. So yes, it's, it's almost, as Brooks mentioned, a look back for many companies, but what does that mean now? If you're gonna put in an amended return right now, um, our best advice and what we're seeing out there with respect to ERC refunds is probably nine months at the minimum when it comes to uh, requesting that money back from the IRS. If it cash is cash, I, I still would much rather have the cash in nine months than not at all. Cash is cash. Um, but the one thing that all taxpayers need to keep in mind is when they apply for this refund, they're going to need to keep in mind that it does actually have an income tax effect in that it is required to reduce your deductions for wages in the same year to which the credit is tagged. Essentially, if it's a 2020 credit, for the 2020 income tax purposes, later you're going to have to reduce your deductions and potentially file an amended return in order to reflect that. So there's a little bit of a give back. So I just, you know, I, I need to just follow up on that give back. I mean, there just seems to be a huge injustice going on here with with the intent of this credit uh, is to subsidize employers to keep paying employees and yet the IRS cannot process these refunds. And so you're getting in the position of taxpayers paying taxes on this give back you're talking about uh, before they've gotten the cash on the credit. So uh, I, I really hope the IRS comes out and addresses this issue because that seems to be completely contrary to what the whole intent of this program is. But uh, nonetheless, I don't think that takes away from the huge uh, attractiveness of the credit and it, you know. Yeah, I agree with you and it certainly would have been easier to essentially take it to the income when you get the money in the refund as opposed to having to do it as a deduction reduction under uh, some of the code provisions um, in the way it was written. I think the issue was just it was written at a time when they really expected most employers to be self-funding it going through and taking the cash immediately and then when they extend it they didn't really change the income tax component to it as well. That is a very astute observation. I'm not sure I've, uh, I've heard that comment. So you are a rock star, Marty. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So let's, you know, all right. So let's let's move forward to, you know, truly the, you know, the main topic of conversation today. Um, what, what are you seeing in the marketplace in terms of providers offering ERC providers? I mean, I'm sorry, ERC services. Uh, Cherry Beckert is certainly not the only provider out there. So, I mean, you've got to, but you've seen a lot. So, you know, what's what's the landscape? Yeah, I've seen, I, I definitely have seen a lot. And there, there's really two, we'll call it classes, two types of providers out there. One would be your traditional CPA firm that has some sort of consulting arm as well, um, where uh, I think in a, in a very thoughtful way, a lot of these companies, these firms are reaching out to their clients for purposes of making them aware of the ERC and considering how it has, what income tax effects it has, et cetera, and whether or not they should thoughtfully apply for it if they qualify. On the other side of it, um, I have seen a number of like startup and boutique firms that really have taken the, um, I guess, they, they've done an amazing job of marketing the ERC. Um, and getting the message out to as many companies as possible. And, and to tell the truth, a lot of the companies that I'm working with right now have were first approached by a boutique due to the fact that their marketing machine is, is quite savvy. Um, it does seem to me in that context, and maybe we'll talk about this in a bit, but what the boutiques seem to be pushing is the government mandate position 
and they're reaching out to a lot of companies that don't have the declines in gross receipts. Um, and I get a lot of companies approaching me about whether they still qualify under the government mandate tests, not only in 2020, but going forward into the third quarter of 21, where in fairness, a lot of the mandates were weakened or lifted by that point. And so I'm in discussions quite a bit about whether those mandates are still having a more than nominal impact, shall we say, on the business itself. And so I'm in a lot of those conversations and it's, it's actually started by the boutiques because then the clients come back to over us to uh, have a conversation and consult on that. Is that, do you think, because that's more of a, uh, a hard line test or um, uh, you either were impacted by this government mandate or not, or do you find that both tests are pretty, uh, uh, because the other is is a calculation of revenues lost. Yeah. Um, so I would think that the revenues lost is an easier, maybe maybe that's the easier calculation rather than whether there is or isn't a mandate. The revenue loss is definitely an easier calculation. It's sort of binary. I'm in or I'm out. I qualify. It's based on my gross receipts. I, it's tangible. I can calculate it. I can show that to the IRS. The government mandate test is Depending on your situation, it can be easy to demonstrate. You just need to show the mandates, and especially if you're in an industry like something like the restaurant industry, where it's quite easy to show that you couldn't do in-room dining or something like that. Um, that's also easy to show. What happens is, again, when we get to the later period time periods in this credit, a lot of the mandates are gone. And I do see that the boutiques in some ways are approaching clients indicating that just having to wear a mask might be enough, uh, or that requirement. Whereas in our opinion, and I think the opinion of most of CPA firms, that is not having more than a nominal impact on the business itself, or maybe just having to work from home. Um, that is well, generally not enough. You need to be truly disrupted. Well, Marty, what's the primary difference in, you kind of talked about the approach, or is, so the CPA firms are looking at both, options and the boutique firms are really focusing on the government mandates is that that the primary difference between them no i mean the, the the boutiques will focus on any client to the extent they they determine that they qualify they'll definitely want to do the work there i do find that they're more aggressive on saying that the government mandates um are applicable whereas at times we do not believe they are on a different note um practically what i'm seeing across the spectrum of clients that we have is that more clients will qualify under the government mandate in 2020, whereas more clients will qualify under the gross receipts test in 2021. The reason for that is in 2020, the gross receipts test requires a more than 50% decline, whereas in 2021, they made it easier and it's only a more than 20% decline. And so I think in the future, what we're gonna see is uh, the IRS potentially looking hard at companies that are claiming the government mandate test qualification later on in 2021 quarters uh, due to the fact that those mandates were um, lessened as time went on. All right, so uh, I guess we got big picture there, but can you get more, I guess, granular on the differences between a CPA firm like Cherry Becker? providing ERC services and a boutique firm uh, without getting too critical, but just like let's let's give a, at least a market perspective of people who may be considering options. Absolutely. And so from my perspective, the biggest difference is this. The boutique firms are, for the most part, charging a contingent fee anywhere from about 15 to 25 percent. 
of the benefit, whereas the CPA firms are, for the most part, charging something under a time of materials or a flat fee, um, a flat fee arrangement, which generally speaking will cause the CPA firm to have a price tag that's significantly lower than what we're seeing out there um, from the boutique firms. And so I, I, th I think that's the biggest difference. I think the second difference is that with respect to, as I mentioned earlier, some of the positions that they're taking with respect to the government mandates, I find it to be a more aggressive push uh, with respect to like indicating that a client is an eligible employer and should be claimed the credit. Whereas I think the boutique, sorry, the, the CPA firms are being a bit more thoughtful about who does and does not qualify and spending more time up front making that analysis. So, I mean, I think, you know, just just to uh, kind of go down a list of some of the really technical issues here, I mean, you kind of just talked about the qualified wage issue and who, you know, and, you know, who actually qualifies and who doesn't qualify, all those calculations. But, you know, there are some really technical issues when you get into control groups, the interaction with PPP loan recipients, the actual filing issues, um, the income tax deduction interaction, and then you got interaction with other credits as well. So, I mean, I, I do think there may be some taxpayers that have very simple facts that maybe, you know, maybe they don't need that kind of expertise, but uh, I think most clients are going to be running into some of these issues, and I think that's another case for using a CPA firm with a lot of expertise like we do. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that the, the main focus of the CPA firms is to make the deliverable and the position as audit ready as possible upon the filing of the credit, whereas I think some of the boutiques are indicating that to the extent something happens, we're ready to fight it later without doing the documentation up front. But you're right, the controlled group issues can be complex. Just having, uh, from a CPA firm perspective, the ability for the firm to prepare the amended Form 941X is, I think, is an advantage. Consulting on the income tax ramifications, as we indicated before, with respect to having to reduce your deductions by the amount of the credit. Some of the more thoughtful analysis just around documenting eligible employer status, um, whether it's a gross receipts test, but also taking into account the control group rules or the government mandate test, but making sure to link and provide all those mandates and how they're having an effect. Um, but I'm finding this is that I think the biggest place where we're really helping our clients right now is because there's such a backlog on these refunds, we have some personnel who are tied to or formerly with Treasury and the IRS who are really doing a great job of following up on behalf of our clients with respect to where they are in the queue with the IRS. They can at least get a sense if, if the client issues us a power of attorney, we can work on their behalf to continue to track where the refund is in the process. And I think over time, that's gonna be the thing that clients value the most because this this money is valuable to them and it's gonna take a while to get it. And I, I find that that's where we're really helping out clients and generating some goodwill. Uh, Marty, your team has reached out to um, targeting some different industries, hospitality, as you yep. mentioned before, not-for-profits, manufacturing distribution, um, are there some common issues among them and what or what about are you finding that's unique or different um, in those in different industries that that your teams focus on? Yeah, I mean, from an industry perspective, obviously, one of the first things we focus on was hospitality and restaurants because it was very tangible and we understood that. And we still find today that in that industry, many of the companies haven't claimed that credit. 
And then we started to think about going out to franchisees of restaurants where there's a number of, uh, we'll call it a large number of employees. And the controlled group rules sometimes where it's a, a large franchise can get complex. And so there's a lot of analysis that takes place there. But in some ways, it's difficult to analyze this under an industry perspective per se, because each company is different. And each company suffered a little differently with respect to what their gross receipts were. Um, the, the other area where I found opportunity is our companies that underwent some kind of acquisition or disposition in the 2020 or 21 time period. There's certain adjustments you need to make to calculate whether or not you're doing that gross receipts analysis correctly. And so we're finding some opportunity for clients that didn't know that they qualified due to the fact that they really hadn't done the analysis properly in that context. All right, so you know this may be kind of a layup or a uh, or a uh, no duh type of uh, question, but what are your thoughts on you know potential legislation that may extend ERC uh, back, get back the fourth quarter, or maybe even move into twenty twenty two? I yeah. So in my opinion, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I'm skeptical that that would happen. I think it's a great thing to tell your constituents that you're working on um, as someone in Congress, um, but we're getting so far away right now from 2021 that it seems like uh, maybe some other type of incentive would be more appropriate. All right. I, I do think getting fourth quarter 2021 would be awfully, awfully uh, difficult in terms of budget as well as just the practical issues of how do you procedurally deal with that on top of all the other issues the IRS has right now. So, okay. I think we're time, uh, we reached the time on the podcast for final comments. Uh, so Marty, you have any, uh, any uh, great words of wisdom that you haven't already shared with us that you would like to add at this point? I think the biggest takeaway from this is just be careful if you're considering, um, who you want to work with from an ERC perspective. I think it's perfectly valuable to work with a boutique or um, an accounting firm, but just keep in mind that you want to be very thoughtful about why you qualify and who has the best um, services that can offer. So don't just believe the first person that tells you you automatically qualify. Make sure you're working with someone that will take the time to vet out the decision. Sarah. Uh, It's interesting, Brooks. We talk so much about the employee retention credit within our firm and the opportunities there, but I'm always amazed at the number of employers who haven't considered it, don't know what it is, and uh, haven't taken advantage of it yet. So I think there's more more to be seen and more to come over the next uh, six months, 12 months, or even the next couple of years. Right. Well, I will just, I will be a little stronger than Marty. I think there's a lot more complexity to this credit, and I think uh, financially, when you're looking at pay arrangements, frequently the CPA firm ends up being a better deal than the boutique, despite uh, maybe some of the initial approaches. Uh, so I encourage going to the qualified expert on this. Obviously, that's a generalization. Anyway, and if uh, if you haven't uh, evaluated uh, employee retention tax credit for your own business, I strongly encourage you to do so. It's not too late. All right, with that word, uh, I think that's the end of today's podcast. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Quick disclaimer that we are not providing specific tax advice on this podcast. 
please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert, with your specific issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on ERC and other tax and business topics. Um, Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.